Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry from the EA Aviation Museum. And uh, my favorite episodes, Jim, are the ones where we have guests. I I like every episode. I enjoy every minute with you. Um, (laughs) But... uh, uh, I really enjoy the ones where we get to have somebody come in and, and chime in with us, and uh, it's kind of like having it's like we're hosting guests, right? You yeah, know? yeah. We should get like canapes or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And today we have Emily Carney, who is space hipster number one, the original, uh, joining us. Uh, Emily, thank you for joining us and coming on here today. Oh, no problem. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I, I love being on your guys's show, so it'll be a uh-huh. lot of fun. It's great. And, uh, of course, there, I've saved this particular minute because it brings up space mutinies. And I know how much you love space mutinies. I love them. <laughs> I've become a bit of an expert on space mutinies, which yes. is hysterical. <laughs> if only there was so, a yeah. Baran episode. We could really uh, yeah. have a lot of fun. So. <laughs> yeah, Baran showed up in Apollo 13 like to save them all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, but yeah, it, but they can't get it out in time because it's hidden in an old garage and covered with dust. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to ref- Yeah, so that's yeah. like a whole other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, um, if only somebody would post a picture of that someday. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, uh, well, th- this minute starts with uh, uh, Jim Lovell has ripped out his uh, medical sensors, which didn't happen in the movie. I mean, it happened in the movie. It didn't happen in real life, but it tells a little bit better when you show it like that in the movie and uh and we're going to finish uh this minute with uh talking about needing another uh, mid-course correction so that's uh that's quite a minute lots of things going on but uh i wanted to i do want to talk about medical uh, mutinies or mutinies in general um they there seems to be this phenomenon that people think that astronauts can pick and choose what they want to do in space, and and indirectly they they are the you know the commander of the ship is the commander, but that isn't really how it's where I mean there's three there's three famous mutinies I can think of that supposed mutinies. One would be, well, let me let you go on about mutinies in space. <clears throat> uh, well, I can only think of uh, if you I don't know about the third uh, mutiny, but there's two alleged ones that get a lot of uh, attention, and that's Apollo Seven. And the second one is Skylab Four, yeah, uh, or the the, the third uh, crewed mission of Skylab. What what's the third one? Well, I'm, I'm I'm saying this this one being a supposed mutiny, which didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, which you know, did not happen. Ones, it, it happened. Yeah, yeah, and the medical mutiny. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, there's. I would say, uh, yeah, those are the uh, the three uh, uh, most popular. I would say <laughs> most popularly <laughs> reported uh, mutinies. Uh, yeah. that really didn't happen the way they've been reported in space flight. Yeah, so, but yeah. that do, that doesn't make for good headlines. So, and, and you know, in, in the thirty years of of shuttle, we never had any good mutiny stories. At least that none that I've heard of. Um, I think there was kind of one. I don't mean to correct you, but there's no, no, but, there's kind of one. Uh, and I could be wrong remembering this uh, because it's been a while since I've read about it. But uh, I want to say there was sort of a mutiny on STS-9 because um, they had a TV transmission, and it was basically just uh, John Young 
uh, maybe somebody else and and the German crew member uh, Ulf uh, Merbold and I want to say they talked to the vice president and I think the some other crew members kind of uh, protested against it in the background with like a, a see no evil hear no evil oh. uh, speak no evil <laughs> type uh, I think they protested like uh, Gary and two other guys so that's kind of a mutiny. Oh okay yeah. <laughs> so in, uh, maybe an insurrection. <laughs> slight insurrection yeah, yeah. but it, no, nobody got hurt you know I yeah. So uh, well well I know I know you've set you've set the record straight in other uh, venues but if if we could talk about uh, the 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 one that gets a lot of airplay and wrong-headed airplay uh Skylab 4 with uh supposedly they you know turned off the radios and uh, held the breath and turned blue, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, through a tantrum or something. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go eat worms. That, yeah, that kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> um, what what is the background of that? And if, if we could just go through that briefly, and where where did this this mutiny idea arise? Well, um, it, okay, it, it's kind of hard. <laughs> There's a lot to this. I, I probably I've done so much research on this. I've it's ridiculous. I mean, I I could probably talk about this one subject, which is sad, for about five hours. But I'll try to give you the short version of it. Um, basically, in the I would say in the last, um, well, it's really starts. The story really starts in 1976. There was a book published um, by, uh, and it was written by Henry S. F. Cooper Jr., who's actually written some decent space flight books. So this one was very surprising because. Um, not very good one, but it's called the A House in Space, and uh, it was the first mass-produced uh, Skylab book. So uh, many people got their first introduction to Skylab through it, but um, it really kind of doubled down on the mutiny thing. It, it took a lot of um, on Skylab. They had something called Channel B, which was basically uh, um, it was a it was a channel of communication and, and it got kind of uploaded or downloaded I should say to the ground um, every day and uh, basically what Cooper did as at least that's what it appears to me is he took some of the channel B communications between uh, the Skylab four crew and the ground and really just took them out of context like if you read it as Cooper reports it you would think Ed Gibson is like Satan or something <laughs> I mean and Ed's a very nice guy so. <laughs> But he's kind of, um, and I don't want to get in trouble, but kind of like, I, I guess, like Frank Borman, he kind of has a rough sense of humor, you know? And I think um, Cooper may have taken that the wrong way, you know, yeah. if yeah. that makes sense. So that was the first book that really went all in on that. And um, in 1981, there was a uh, Harvard Business, I want to say a Har Harvard Business School study that um, added the piece that um, they turned their communications off. And um, yeah, so really, and over the last, and they all hinge on this one particular date, which I think was either December, uh, I could be getting this wrong, December 28th or 29th, 1973 was the day it happened, shortly after Christmas. And, you know, they raged against the machine, turned their <laughs> communications off and, and refused to talk to anybody for hours and, and did nothing, you know, basically sat on their thumbs and was like, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're on strike. Well, um, the story is really a little more nuanced than that. And uh, the crew didn't do anything like that. Um, if you actually check the transcript for, I think it was December 28th or 29th, um, nothing really exciting happened on those days. They actually worked, and they, I want to say they actually t talked to uh, 
uh, Kohutek, the astronomer, on the ground because they were um, observing Comet around that time. They were observing uh, Comet Kohutek, so they were actually working. Um, but what really happened was around that time uh, they did run into workflow issues, and that 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 happened for a lot of reasons. Um, some of them I won't get into because we'd be in here for about eight hours talking about <laughs> it. But um, mainly what happened was the previous crew, uh, Skylab 3, which was commanded by Al Bean, um, by the end of their mission, they had accomplished a lot. Um, they had accomplished 150% of their mission goals, and they were labeled the super crew, and uh, they did a pretty fantastic job. They really did. But what happened was, because this was going to be the last Skylab mission, and in fact it was the last long-duration mission for a really long time, I want to say 22 years almost, um, the planners loaded them up with a ton of experiments. Um, basically this was the, you know, last hurrah. So they, you know, they were loaded with a bunch of experiments, um, and their, their work schedule was insane. Um, and I, I talked to one of the Capcoms that worked on that mission, and they were basically saying, you know, they were treating everything like a sprint, and you can't sprint through a marathon, you know? Yeah. So that's basically what was going on. And uh, around week four, five, six, you know, they were starting to get exhausted. And um, so basically what they did was they were like, hey, you know, we're working our butts off up here. Can we request some time off? And the, and the ground was like, sure. So they took some time off. That didn't really solve the problem. So they, um, and I want to say the day off was January, actually January 10th, 1974. Um, and they actually worked during that day. They didn't take like a day off, day off. I, I want to say Gibson actually worked um, observing the sun that day. So it wasn't like they were just chilling, you know. Um, but uh, that didn't really work. So, um Basically, what happened was Carr had what he called a seance with the ground, and they basically, um, over, I want to say, several ground passes, they discussed, you know, okay, we need to work out a new plan, you know, to do experiments and to kind of balance everything because this isn't working for us. We're getting tired out here, you know. We, we can't do this for the remainder of the mission because we're just going to burn out. So they did, and they talked to the ground. It was actually very civil. It wasn't you know, nasty or anything like that at all. And um, they worked out a new plan, and part of it was they wouldn't do major experiments after eating dinner. And um, and it worked beautifully. And in February 1974, they came home, and it was really the most um, successful Skylab mission. And they got a lot... Um, they I want to say they got even more done than the second crew did. But unfortunately, nobody hears about that because... Um, a house in space was dropped uh, shortly after they came home. And then in 1981, that business review study uh, came out uh, and uh, business school study came out. And then um, I would say over the last decade, uh, the Internet has uh, just a ton of fake, you know, I wouldn't say fake, but a lot of articles with um, uh, incorrect facts about this um episode have have come out you know where you know and people keep saying oh they mutinied on december 28th you know they come up with that one weird date and i'm like why and it, it just really sucks because um I, I i i'm not i'm not trying to brag here but i've talked to everybody who flew on that mission and 
if you actually, if people actually met these guys, they'd be like, they didn't do anything like that. They're just normal guys, you know. Um, Ed Gibson uh, is really sweet. He's a really good guy, and um, Jerry Carr is too. Bill Pogue, I only met him a little bit, but he was really cool and funny. And um, if you actually met these guys, you would know they didn't do anything like that. These are very, you know, it's hard for me or anyone else to really believe they would have had that kind of, yeah, well, screw it, we're going to just rage against the machine today and <laughs> not do anything. I mean, they're not like that whatsoever. These are professionals. Yeah, so, I, I've, um, I've talked I've talked with Jerry Carr, and he had, um, you know, he, he was Capcom on so many missions and had to deal with flight-critical, time-critical things. Uh, and I've heard him ask uh, asked about the you know, quote unquote mutiny, and he, his eyes roll back in his head so far, <laughs> trying yeah. to patiently describe. No, this isn't how it worked. But you know, and basically, he, he the way he talked about it was: you sit down and you have a meeting, and the things that sounded really good on the ground that you got to get this and that done, and everybody uh, adding in their own little pet projects, and you can't be in one end of the ship doing blood draws and then going back and working on the t solar telescope yeah. at the same time. And, and he said it's just a matter of they didn't put everything in order and and at, at, toward the end as they were trying to get extra experiments put on, it it didn't fit into their little PERT chart. And he said it's just a matter of organization and getting, you know, figuring out what was critical and what wasn't critical. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and like you said, Jerry, Jerry uh, I've, I've, of the crew, I've only met Jerry, but he, you know, he's definitely not the type that would throw a f hissy fit about something. No, they're all very emotionally level guys, and yeah, it was basically, um, it's characterized as a quote, you know, mutiny by some of these, you know, news outlets and even a few historians, which is disappointing. But um, it really, I would characterize it in. Um, there's a gentleman out there, uh, I'm going to give him a shout-out, named uh, Jim Scarborough, and he's also done a lot of work to try to debunk this myth, and um, he uh, has tried to edit the Wikipedia article on this, and it's, I don't know what it's called now, because there's another editor who keeps turning it back to mutiny. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. But, um, uh, I know, it's ridiculous, yeah. but um, uh, Jim... Scarborough um, retitled the article uh, Skylab 4 Workflow Issues, which is definitely more accurate because I, I look at it as more as, you know, okay, there were some workflow issues, you know, their schedule was way too loaded. You know, I mean, if you're working for 16 hours a day on Earth, you know, and your activities are like, you know, sandwiched one on top of the other and, you know, all this extra stuff is thrown in, you're going to make mistakes. That's yeah. just, I mean, it's, and that's what happened, and it wasn't, it wasn't their fault. So it was, I think, um, I don't know if it's Neil Hutchinson who said this, um, one of the, I, one of the, uh, I think one of the flight directors. I, I, I think he's one of the flight directors. I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Um, I want to say he basically said, you know, it was our problem. It wasn't theirs. You know, it was the problem originated here. You know, so. Um, yeah, so that's basically my decent short summary of the Skylab mutiny. The whole, if I talked about this, the, I did a whole, like, talk on this, and it was an hour long, and Ed Gibson was sitting there laughing the whole time. Because um, I was trying to put, I put memes in there to cut, try to demonstrate how stupid it was, you know, and <laughs> how stupid the idea of a mutiny is, you know. Were they going to go to the moon or something? Like, I don't, seriously, but yeah, so... That um, was probably, uh, 
I don't know. That's the most infamous not a mutiny. I yeah, would say. yeah. Yeah, and, and and like like you're saying with the internet, uh, the the problem is, is that once you generate one news article, people use it as a citation in yet another news article. So, well, here's all the other proof, and it usually just boils down to one badly worded uh, article that uh, proliferated. It's like a virus, uh, to be timely. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, well, and like you said, Emily, I mean, anybody anybody who who's had a chance to spend some time with any of the astronauts, I mean, I. I it, the thing I always kind of gleaned from from all of them, the one common bond, is all of them wanted to go and do a good job. That they wanted to do exactly what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to do it, and come back with a well done kind of feeling. And none of them would go up there and just be like, "Yeah, we're gonna take it down." <laughs> you know, like, yeah, gonna... <laughs> exactly. They weren't gonna go up there and you know uh, cause problems for you know potentially other people. And um, I, I think it's also bears mentioning that um skylab was really skylab 4 was really the last like big science mission before shuttle because apollo soyuz launched and it had a few experiments but it was really kind of an exercise in um detente between you know the soviet union and the and the united states you know in space which was awesome but um we really you know you know until the 1980 probably 10 years later we didn't really get to do um have any major, you know, science uh, heavy missions, you know, in space. And um, Skylab 4 was it. And I think um, another thing that bears, you know, kind of thinking about is, you know, really kind of was the learning curve. Okay, how are we going to do this when we get on the space shuttle? You know, how are we going to, you know, stagger our work, you know, our workflow? How are we going to do that? And I, I think that was very important for not just the shuttle program, but also what's going on on the ISS now. So... Um, and Skylab 4 were really, uh, in my opinion, they're really underrated pioneers in that, in, you know, in that. So, yeah, they're um, kind of the foundation of the, you know, long duration work in space. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, everything from physiology with doing exercises to uh, coming up with shift work where some of them would be working at, at some times and other ones would be working at other times. And then the ground would be working the uh, space telescope when everybody was asleep and nobody was moving. So it just, it, it, you know, it, it really was where all of, all of the, or a lot of the basic premises of the International Space Station came out. And it's, it is, unfortunately, Skylab is such a forgotten project that created so many different uh, activities in space medicine and, uh, and long duration, uh, you know, things that we're using right now. Um, and I'm, I'm glad the work that you do, uh, Emily, is really important because it keeps that memory of the, all those interim missions alive. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's funny um, because people, you know, have asked people have asked me, you know, why why Skylab? You know, why are you into Skylab so much? It's nobody's really interested in that kind of stuff. And um, I, I love, you know, I, I want to make it clear, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, I love only Apollo lunar missions, you know. I, I have a lot of respect, and I greatly love the Apollo lunar missions, and I love shuttle. I love pretty much anything in the human spaceflight program, not even in the United States. You know, I'm really just pro spaceflight, period. But um, Skylab is just, it's just such a, like, a wealth of information. And I, and it's, for such a small program, there's just so much, you know. And I, I just really love digging into that because so much of it is just not remembered, and uh, and it's very important, I think, 
to get all those stories down because they really, like you said, um, they really did set the foundations for a lot of the long duration space flights that we're, we're going to be making eventually, you know, if we branch out further into the solar system. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was such a, mega, um, we, we, in Apollo 13, we've just been watching them build a, uh, you know, a scrubber to take, the, to, to fit the lunar, mo- or the, fit the command module scrubbers into the lunar module's uh, oxygen uh, generators, or, or uh, you know, car- carbon dioxide uh, scrubbers. And there's so much in, Sky- Skylab was made up of so many different leftovers, like their, you know, the radio systems came out of, the, they were leftover UHF uh, transmitters from the Gemini program. The, the airlock door is a Gemini door. Yes. I love, that's my favorite thing on, on of all Skylab is seeing that little Gemini door when you, when you, when you look on the underside <laughs> of it. Uh, it it's Skylab just amazing was kind of thing. the hot rodders. They were just taking pieces out of the junkyard and. Like yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a big kit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big kit bash of, of everything. Else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you know the idea that even though you know we lost the last three lunar missions, they managed <clears throat> from from all of that they made lemonade and built built a laboratory, you know, a house in space, if you will. Yeah. Even, <laughs> yeah. Even, even yeah. though that book is grotten, but yeah, <laughs> it's a great uh, title. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. The, I, there are some good points about that book. I, I got the, there's beautiful. The cover is really nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the pictures are really, they have some nice pictures in them. So that's about, that's yeah. about it. And the, I, I hate saying that because the guy who wrote the book, um, uh, he is deceased now. Uh, he died, I believe in 2016. The thing is he's written other books that were really quite good. I think this maybe was, I don't know this book's publication history and I feel bad dissing this guy, but, um, yeah, he's he has written some good ones, so I just wanted to make that clear. I feel bad bad mouthing this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's okay, but you know, again, it was a popular book, and it came out, and people at least heard of Skylab, even if it was even if a lot yes. of it was wrong. Um, and uh, I always felt bad in you know being a being a child of the '60s. I always felt bad in that. Um, uh, I, I don't know what to call it, the, uh, the, the, the diaspora when everybody was like in between Soyuz and or, you know, Apollo Soyuz and, uh, and the first shuttle launch. It was a long time. I mean, we're, we're experiencing that right now, although as we're recording this, we're only three weeks away from a return to human spaceflight from American soil. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long time of no missions. And, uh, you know, the thing that we had to look back to was Skylab. I mean, I remember seeing, seeing Skylab in space. I saw it when, when it first uh, launched, it, it was not only Skylab but the S two that was fall, you know, or that was actually ahead of it. Yeah, um, and you could see that in the night sky, and it was just amazing. And um, you know, now we're seeing like the Starlink uh, uh, satellites rolling across the sky, and that, that's what kind of reminds me of more than one thing out there in space flying along. And you think, wow, there's people living up there now. <laughs> And, uh, you know, all that happened for me when I was a kid in, in the 70s, seeing that, seeing that overhead. And that's what I'm most grateful about Skylab is that it kind of kept things alive after the lunar projects were, um, you know, abandoned. Yeah. I, 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 yeah I, I didn't live through Skylab, which is embarrassing to say because everybody's like, did you, you know, do you remember it? And I'm like, I, my first memory of Skylab was when it was coming down. That was yeah. that was it, and everybody was scared yeah. it was going to hit their house. Yeah. So for yeah, some reason, fell on my uncle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I don't have any memories of it. I, I while well, it was around, but um, I remember as a kid just being fascinated with the, just 
you know, I know I'm way off topic because this is an Apollo 13 uh, podcast, but I just remember being fascinated with it. I think I had a poster as a kid, and I was just like, I was like obsessed. I thought it was so futuristic looking, even though it was already, you know, about a decade old. So, um, yeah, yeah, that kind of started it. There were so many cool stories. I mean, Al Bean hanging out of the, you know, hanging out of the Apollo trying to fix, you know, and it just, just all these, these kind of stuff that you would normally see on like a TV movie of the week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a it's like of... everything, just so much technology of umbrellas. <laughs> yeah. Kind of really MacGyver stuff where they had to, you know, just fix stuff kind of on the fly in space. It, it really taught us, I think it really taught, you know, NASA too. And I think people really underestimate this. It taught people how to fix infrastructure in space for the, for the first time because they really had to you know so i think yeah. that's also very important yeah no it's 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 a, th- a thrilling story i keep hoping that um you know ron howard will get around to i mean they, you know tom hanks and doing the from the earth to the moon and stuff if they could do a uh if they could do a skylab miniseries and just talk about things i don't know where where the beginning and the end of the story would be but i'd watch it i know i, yeah. I know I'd, i would I'd definitely watch it and uh and it's it's just lot, lots of fun well, um, I know I know we didn't talk a lot about Apollo thirteen, uh, Apollo thirteen in here. Um, do you have a favorite uh, moment in Apollo thirteen? I don't know if there's things that you stop and kind of pause when you're watching the movie. In the movie, oh gosh, um, <laughs> this is horrible, and I hate admitting this, and I know this did not happen, but um, the part where you know, uh, uh, uh Bill Paxton Hayes, uh, Bill, <laughs> yeah. It, um, it's like I think I caught the clap from uh, from Swagger's <laughs> yeah. relief too, because um, there, like I said, there's a lot of artistic license in that movie, and I I love that movie. I'm not that's not a criticism. I, I understand why, but um, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Hayes actually would say that in real life, but <laughs> he probably maybe he thought it. I don't know. Um, Swiger was definitely getting around, so I thought that was hysterical. Yeah, he was living, living up to that astronaut uh, image. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely partying and having a good time. So, yeah, um, yeah, I thought that was hysterical when I first. I remember when I first saw it. I was a teenager, and I was like, "Oh, like I, I knew what they were talking about." So, yeah, I thought that was funny uh, unexpectedly. I'm trying to think of I I God I've watched that movie a million times and now I'm tongue tied. Um, oh, it's, it's there's I mean, so you... many perfect parts of it. Just um, oh my gosh, I, I'm watching it again now. I'm really um, more struck by how beautifully filmed it is and how accurate it really looks. You yeah, know, that's yeah, that's what I really like about it. Is it looks um, it looks it looks real. You know, because yeah, yeah. not every space movie can say that. <laughs> yeah, you know? my I, my only yeah, my only downside, and I think I I think I may have mentioned this before. The only downside of this movie to me is that I get the feeling that people think that there was Apollo eleven and you landed we landed on the moon, and then there was Apollo thirteen where we yeah. didn't land on the moon, and that's the whole history of space flight. <laughs> so, you know, generations of kids watching these things. Yeah, yeah. My, it, I agree. Yeah. My that. only my only gripe on it, and it's and it's it's something that I think looking back, you know, I think if everybody looked back at it, it's like you know, yeah, okay, we, we could have changed it. And I and I think it would have it would have told us different story. Is I wish they would have depicted the Grumman guy differently. Yeah. Because um, yeah. 
anybody that like I'm I, I'm friends with a couple guys that worked on the Lem and and I can tell you that that wasn't how you know I think there would have been a more interesting a more compelling story if that guy didn't waver and was like our Lem will do it our Lem will do whatever you needed to do you know like that would have been in my opinion way cooler than like gee I guess I get to keep my job <laughs> so, yeah I wish but, um there is one thing I wish was different about it I'm I I hope I didn't talk over you. Um, I wish Hayes was depicted as, you know, uh, a little more realistically because there's that part in the movie where Hayes and Swigert are throwing, like, punches or something. (laughs) And um, I'm probably exaggerating. Um, They're getting a fight in the limb, you know, because, you know, Swigert hits his head on something, you know. And uh, from what I understand, you know, um, having talked to Fred a few times, uh, Fred and Jack got along fine. So, um, yeah. you know, I kind of feel like Jack was portrayed a little, you know, kind of like this, you know, just this playboy who just, you know, just showed up, you know, or something. <laughs> and it was a little more complicated than that. He was, um, he actually wrote the, he and, I want to say he and Al Warden wrote the book for uh, contingencies for the command module. So he was, he was pretty, he was in the right, I mean, if something bad was going to happen, he was in the right place you know he was he was gonna be able to kind of work it out and i kind of wish they'd like the grumman guy i wish they'd sort of delved more into that like this was a, you know mattingly was good but swigert was also the right guy to be there you know yeah 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 and i i think you're right about hayes too hayes i think bill paxton was kind of channeling his aliens characters like game yeah. over man kind of a thing you know and it's like <laughs> Fred, Fred is not that kind of a guy. He's very, very level-headed fellow. I mean, he's a very funny guy, but yeah. he's, uh, he's, you know, it's just uh, he's from Biloxi. He's just he knows he he knows when not to panic, and that was definitely not the time to panic. Yeah, Fred. Uh, Fred's kind of laid. I think Fred's kind of more, way more laid back than how he was portrayed in the movie. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah, he's very, very laid back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Before, Emily, I, I want to make sure I get to, to say this. Uh, I just want to say, say thank you to you and everybody on Space Hipsters um, because, you know, I, I came into the aviation world. Uh, you know, I'm an airplane guy, World War II, Vietnam, that kind of stuff. And space stuff was kind of new to me. I mean, I'm still learning it uh, as a programs manager here. When, when assignments come up, you know, I don't know everything. So I, I like to dive into people who do and and, and try to, to, to learn as much as I can. And I have learned so much uh, from yourself and from a lot of the really great people that post on Space Hipsters. And, and I just want to say thank you to you and to all of them for that because it's really a, an amazing uh, it's an amazing place to go and learn. It really is. Well, thank, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. That's really, really high praise. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed myself. The group has gotten such a big following and i'm still learning every day myself there's a i think our group does have a lot of incredible people in there and i i've learned a great deal you know myself that you know and i'm still learning stuff every day that you know like um i'm, I'm trying to write this uh skylab article now and it's something that i've never really investigated before and uh i'm not going to reveal too much about it because i i wanted to reveal it when it comes out but um, I'm like, I would have never had that opportunity, you know, a few years ago because I didn't know any of these people. And now I can just kind of email them and say, hey, can we talk about this? And, you know, and 
I'm excited, not really in a fan way, but more in a, wow, I'm going to get to find out about this specific thing, you know, and this is really something I've been wondering about for years. So um, it's been really a wild ride and it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> and it's, thank you very much. It's, um, asto- <laughs> it, it, it's astonishing. I mean, going on Space Hipsters and you can ask a question and somebody will turn up and say, yeah, well, my dad walked on the moon. He told me that. And you're like, well, you're, oh, that's your last name. Okay. And it just, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's so astonishing. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's just a wonderful, uh, you just feel like you're at the world's biggest party and everybody, everybody's interested in the same things you are. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's really, it's even really, I mean, overwhelming to me in a lot of ways, just because, um, I never, as I, I was a nerd when I was growing up, and, you know, I, I was the kid who was into, you know, space stuff, kind of nerdy, had glasses and stuff, and, you know, I never imagined in my life this would have happened, that, you know, we'd have this kind of community, and it, it's just really incredible to me, and just, you know, and I'm even, you know, I, I'm I'm the one who pushed the button on it, and I'm even amazed that, you know, I have access to this kind of information that, you know, and I can contact people and ask them questions about stuff that happened you know at a specific time 45 years ago or 48 years ago is just uh, mind-blowing yeah no, it, it's it's a wonderful world we're living in it's a, <laughs> just it and and never never ceases to be amazing but again th- thanks so much Emily, for being on the show here uh for folks who do want to uh, uh join us on that conversation always go out to uh, to facebook at space hipsters i can't recommend it enough if you're not a member go in and sign up because it, it it's eye-opening and just very entertaining, if nothing, if nothing else, and quite educational. Um, for folks who would like to talk about our show, uh, we're always available on our own little uh, corner of the Facebook universe, uh, the Apollo 13-Minute uh, Mission Control. Uh, if you have, uh, if you like our show right now and you've missed the previous 97 episodes, uh, go out to any of your favorite podcatchers like uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google, you know, the local, the usual places. Or if you can't get there, go to our big site, uh, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com. Uh, if you subscribe in any of those podcatchers, you'll get us hot and fresh every morning with a new episode Mondays through Fridays. Uh, we're also available on social media at uh, Twitter and uh, Apollo 13 Minute. Love to hear from you. So if, if you have any questions, please uh, check back with us there. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow as uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, mid-course corrections. But uh, stay, uh, c- come back here tomorrow and we'll uh, finish out the uh, uh this, well, we're getting close to the end of, of the mission, but we're we're going to have one, one final uh, turn at the throttle. Uh, looks like we're coming up on uh, loss of signal in about 30 seconds, so we'll see you here next time on the Apollo 13 Minute.